welcome to the IEH Podcast, where we profile fellows of the Institute for the Arts and Humanities here at the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. I'm Philip Hollingsworth, Coordinator for Faculty Programs. In this episode, Communication Specialist Melissa Clay speaks with Christian Lentz, Assistant Professor of Geography. In their conversation, Professor Lentz discusses his research on the Dien Bien Phu region of Vietnam. He also talks about his favorite moments in the classroom and gives some advice on applying for the faculty fellowship program. You just began your faculty fellowship. How is it going so far? So far, so good. I'm um, enjoying my time outside the classroom and and sort of strapped in front of my computer uh, writing. And it's been a little bit more of a transition than I expected, given that I was working all summer on a similar task. But nonetheless, it's been very rewarding so far. Have there been any surprises in your first couple of sessions with faculty fellows or anything you've learned? I think there's two things that I've I've been pleasantly surprised by. I think, number one, um, it's continued to immerse me in a scholarly community. Um, And so over the summer, I was part of a Center for Faculty Excellence writing group. And in a similar way, just talking with colleagues about the everyday business of writing, um, what kind of work it requires, and to have sort of sympathetic voices when we all get stuck in the process is very, very helpful. So the Institute for Arts and Humanities has sort of picked up exactly where that summertime writing group left off, and that's been very rewarding. And I think the second thing that I've been pleasantly surprised by is the breadth of the humanities. I mean, I call myself a qualitative social scientist or a historical geographer, But now that we're in conversation with literature scholars, philosophers, and others in the group, in addition to historians and Asian studies people, people that are more customary, Mm -hmm. uh, more accustomed to talking to, I'm very surprised and learning quite a bit from them. That's great. What did you decide to use this time to focus on? So oddly enough, the proposal I wrote a year ago is exactly where I wound up. It's not... Mm-hmm. Always, things don't always work out so nicely, but in this case it did. And so where I'm at right now is wrapping up my book manuscript. Um, and it's a project that's based on my dissertation, but it's significantly uh, changed both theoretically and empirically mm-hmm. since that time I was a graduate student. And so the book manuscript itself is a story of, um, well, it's become really a story of territory. And it's a story of territory as it's experienced and constructed in the Vietnamese Revolution when they were fighting for independence from the French in the 1940s and 1950s. Okay. Where are you in the, in the process? Ah, thank you. Yeah, so uh, I'm basically in my last chapter, the last substantive chapter. So it's a good place to be. Um, mm-hmm. But nonetheless, I still get worried sometimes that I'm sort of kicking the can each time I try and pick it up, mm-hmm. you know, that sort of that feeling. But nonetheless, I'm in the last chapter. And so where I am in the story is coming out of the end of the war in 1954, but nonetheless seeing how all the tensions built into that same territory continue into this period of national independence. Mm -hmm. And so many of the same tensions that had been building for years in this particular place I'm writing about have now sort of continued and actually taken a turn for the worse. Our staff uh, has a seasonal book club, and our last book was uh, The Sympathizer, which Ah, is a Pulitzer Prize-winning Uh, book from for fiction mm-hmm. this year. So listening to you talk about the genesis of the time that this this book takes place is mm-hmm. particularly fascinating. And I wonder when you when you study the the, his, the history, the actual history, are you ever interested in reading fiction around you know 
historical fiction, basically. Absolutely. And if so, which what are you what are you like? What are you interested in? No, that's a great question. So I, I've read uh, Viet Thanh Nguyen's uh, The Sympathizer, and it's quite a good book. I mean, I teach a class um, in the geography department. It's a first-year seminar. So I call it The Geography of Vietnam, but I want to introduce first-year students to the sort of breadth of scholarly writing and scholarly materials. So that includes not just academic nonfiction, but also fiction, film, photographs, primary sources, etc. And so what I've taught in the past is a book, um, another wonderful piece of fiction by a, a Vietnamese writer named Bao Nin called The Sorrow of War. So I've really been interested in fiction, both in my own personal writing, but also in my teaching as well. Mm-hmm. And The Sympathizer is a great book, because I think it tells that story of the Vietnamese diaspora in a very original way. So I think it has a lot to say um, mm-hmm. in important ways. So in terms of the fiction that I, I like to read and sort of keep up with on my own, I mean, there is that sort of fiction that is directly related to my um, area of research about Vietnam or Indonesia or that, that part of the world. But I've actually, for whatever reason, been on a sort of Caribbean kick lately. Oh, is that right? Yeah, <laughs> and so I and I found, I mean, gener- generally speaking, I have to read fiction at night before I go to bed to sort of wash my brain a little bit and and so (laughs) otherwise I go to sleep thinking of all the stuff I'm still writing about and and still composing a sentence or trying to figure my way out of a little puzzle Mm -hmm. so reading fiction is actually quite helpful and I think Mm -hmm. it improves my prose what recent um, book on the Caribbean have you have you read so it started with um uh, Marlon James, um, A Brief History of Seven Killings, which I really I loved. I mean, I think his, he's a real prose stylist, but he's also a wonderful storyteller. Mm-hmm. And that's a story of the, the near assassination of Bob Marley in late 1970s Jamaica. And sort of, and then it chronicles the subsequent killing of each of the assassins in order to keep it a secret. Um, and it implicates U.S. foreign policy, Cold War CIA tactics, as well as really kind of bringing back a, a, a history to that Part of the world in Jamaica, which is fascinating at mm-hmm. that point. At that point, so I sort of continued and wound up getting immersed in Madison Smart Bell's trilogy, All Souls Rising, and then the s- subsequent books he wrote about the Haitian Revolution, oh, yeah. which I just found wonderful. And that actually was really useful for me to think through the complications and practical problems that revolutionaries face um, in taking their ideals and putting them into place. So I really found that quite uh, wonderful and useful to think through as I was writing about mm-hmm. this period in Vietnamese history. And then most recently, I went back to Marlon James again to read his book, The Book of Night Women. Mm-hmm. And that's fabulous. And that's actually covering the same period in time as the Haitian Revolution, but in Jamaica. Mm-hmm. And so you see this sort of sense about um, the kind of anxiety that it provokes among the white planters and the hope it inspires among the black enslaved people and also just the everyday horrors of being enslaved at that time. That's really amazing the way that all of this relates. Depend, no matter where in the world, that revolution, for instance, mm-hmm. this theme of revolution and the genesis of it and where it comes from in the struggle, universal themes there and, and the book that you're writing. I hope so. I mean, I hope it comes through because I think, you know, part of what I want to do and is think about, you know, what we Americans take for granted, you know, sort of ideals that are written in the Declaration of Independence that come out of European Enlightenment. They still have the power to be very radical today. And that's what happens in, in my opinion, at least in the Vietnamese Revolution, is mm-hmm. that in the 1930s, when Vietnamese students, many of them are brilliant because they had to be to make it to the level of French language education that they attained, which in our equivalent was advanced high school, in France is called lycée. Mm-hmm. They started to encounter these French thinkers um, 
Rousseau and Diderot and others and started to think seriously about radical equality. And if the French could have a revolution, why can't we? And so that sort of drove mm-hmm. the sort of changes, I think, in the mid-20th century in Vietnam. You wrote a proposal to get into the active fellowship mm. program. Do you have any advice for someone writing their proposal right now, the things that you learned, things that you mm-hmm. felt really worked and brought your ideas together? The first piece of advice is a very practical one, and I've actually given it several times already, and that is read the instructions very, very carefully. Um, (laughs) It's very easy to – I mean, that's a classic one, Mm -hmm. perhaps just coming from a teacher to a student. But I think more broadly, what the instructions really emphasize is thinking carefully about what you will do with this time. And so therefore, the task of the proposal isn't just to present – what might be a brilliant idea, but then how you're actually going to make it happen Mm -hmm. in the time that you are, if you are awarded that time. So I think that's actually very, very important. And secondly, I think having written three proposals before I finally got it, I think it really, any proposal takes a lot of work. And the more people who read it, and particularly people who have nothing to do with your field or the kind of project you're working on, the better the feedback you're going to get, because it's going to be read by people who don't know you and who don't know your work. One last question I have is, um, what are your best moments in teaching? In some ways, teaching is a little bit like writing in that I don't love it actually when I'm doing it, but I like it when I've finished it. And I can look back on something that is a job well done. And it's, you know, I can sort of get that sense from a piece of writing. It's like, okay, this actually seems like it's a good piece of writing now after so much work and blood, sweat, and tears. But with teaching, it often comes from students towards the end of class who start to voice what they've learned, start to engage the ideas, and demonstrate that they have learned something in my class. Mm-hmm. Or I get an email out of the blue asking for a recommendation letter saying that the class was actually quite good. Sometimes even thank you notes, written thank you notes, that still do exist, which is quite gratifying, I think. But I think on a more sort of everyday level, um, I really enjoy the relationships that I build through those classes. I mean, they're very talented students that come, who come to Carolina, and they, have a, they can draw on a wealth and a diversity of experience that I find really inspiring. Uh, one small example, I teach on Southeast Asian geography, which is very far afield for most students, but it can become quite close in a couple ways. One, for example, is, of course, North Carolina has a very large uh, Asian diaspora, including Hmong people, Vietnamese people, Thai people, etc., yes. um, most of whom came to this country as a direct result of the conflict that the Americans waged on that, in that part of the world. So I can ex- help them discover a part of themselves through uncovering this kind of history that I think uh, deserves much more attention. And then in a second way, for students who may have no connection personally or and family ways with that part of the world, just teaching some of the ideas that scholars have pioneered in their study of Southeast Asia, because it's so rich and diverse, actually are quite useful and applicable to the study of a place like North Carolina. Mm-hmm. And an example there might be thinking about Highland Appalachian, or the Appalachians, the Appalachian Highlands of North Carolina as a sort of zone of refuge where people went to escape some of the more difficult conditions mm-hmm. in lowland North Carolina, be that slavery or um, everyday moonshining activities. There's lots of ways that are actually that people live in the Appalachians that are quite similar to Highland Southeast Asia. What uh, motivated you to focus on this area? In that part of the world? Yes. 
I have to get biographical in some ways to sort of answer that, but I think my my grandfather, way back when, was a career Navy officer, mm-hmm. and so he brought my mother and her three sisters to Thailand in the early 1960s when he was serving um, in the still serving the U.S. Navy, and so he lived in Thailand for two years, and my mother. For her, my mother, it was a, a sort of world-changing or life-changing experience. And so she um, always regaled us with stories growing up, of growing up, in, of being a child in Thailand, the kind of exciting things that she learned and saw. And so I always heard that. And then her younger sister, my aunt, married a man who had served in Vietnam and then um, became an oil executive and traveled all over the world. Mm-hmm. And Around the time I went to high school, he had a posting in Indonesia, and my mom went to visit them. And again, I heard lots of stories about Indonesia. And so I was always interested in that part of the world. I was a sort of budding environmentalist. I knew they had big trees, fascinating tropical forests, all that stuff. It wasn't until I got to college I realized I could actually study that part of the world. In some ways, that was just fortuitous. I wound up at Cornell, which has a fabulous Southeast Asia program. Mm -hmm. And I took a course my freshman year called... Um, peoples and peoples of Southeast Asia, or something very broad. Um, or it was an introduction to Southeast Asia, mm-hmm. and it was a professors on parade course where you could learn a little bit about the politics, the linguistics, the history of that region. And I was hooked. And from then on, I've sort of just been interested in that part of the world. That's great. Thank you so much for your time. Oh, my pleasure. I hope yeah. that was useful. Check back at ieh.unc.edu for the latest news on our fellows and upcoming events at Hyde Hall. You can find all of our episodes on our website as well as iTunes, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. Please like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at IAH underscore UNC.